thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Hi, this is Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread. This episode finds me in Metro Manila, uh, in the Philippines, a city of 13 million people, and you are, again, very likely to hear traffic noises outside. Uh, have been off of producing the threads for a few weeks, and it's because we were packing up our house in Tennessee and relocating once again to Asia. Uh, we live in northern Thailand, where we minister there. And uh, so glad to be back at the thread because I really enjoy doing these. They're good reminders for me, and I hope that they're being beneficial to you. Thread is a special kind of scriptural study. It's for those who feel they're called to be leaders or those who are already leaders because, you know, as you know, athletes need special diets. And the same is true with leaders. Uh, We need a kind of spiritual feeding that keeps us focused on the dynamics of leadership. And so that's why we're going through the book of Mark very slowly. It's a profile of Christ as a leader, and it shows how you handle uh, opposition and a lot of other things that will come your way in your journey as a leader. So uh, if you don't have your Bible, go get one because we're going verse by verse in this study. And we'll be right back. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Okay, we're back. Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Today we have a shorter passage. And let's just dive into that. This is a passage about the first missions trip that Jesus took with his disciples. They have confined themselves completely to Jewish uh, people, and this is their first opportunity to move outside of that. Christ says to them in verse 35, when it's come dark, let's cross over to the other side. Well, the other side is the Gentile side of this uh, large body of water. It's the outside of the knowledge of God side. And this is his core team's very first missions trip. He's going with them. Verse 36 says they left the multitude, the Jewish multitude that they were with, and they took Jesus in the boat as he was uh, without him going somewhere to eat or rest or, you know, uh, change clothes. They just went straight from ministry and got in the boat. And it tells us that there were some hangers-on, some other little boats that also sort of formed a flotilla as they pushed away and those little boats joined them, you know, just kind of um, me too, me too, following where they were all headed, uh, whether they had been invited to go on the trip or not. You know, they were just joining out of enthusiasm. And verse 37, a great windstorm arose and waves beat into the boat and it was already filling. You know, this is our indication of spiritual resistance because anytime you get involved in the mission and there's one mission for the church and that mission needs to be kept central and that is taking the gospel to those who have not heard, being um, a mailman for God taking a message that he has written in blood, his own blood, 
the blood of his son, about the forgiveness that he's extending to all people, and that if they will repent, they can enter his kingdom and find forgiveness and even enter into his family and become adopted as sons and daughters. Beautiful message that he sends us to give them all accomplished because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But that message will be resisted. It'll be resisted in the church. There'll be lethargy about it. People would rather, you know, have a a sports team or something for Christians to enjoy. And churches just fill themselves with busyness. And part of that is just spiritual resistance. It's trying to avoid putting most of the money and the energy and the people in a church tasked on evangelism. And, you know, lost people matter to God. That's what the incarnation was all about. So lost people have to matter to the church, and they have to matter to us. You know, a mature Christian is simply someone who has decided by will to love what God loves and hate what God hates and pour himself into what God is pouring himself into. So um, put the harvest first. You know, put it in the center of your of your focus, let your resources go for it, you know, have lost people into your life. And they're not going to come in there by accident. You're going to have to, you know, clear some time, have lunch with lost people on purpose because they're lost, you know, develop redemptive relationships with people who are seeking and people who seem to have lost their way, have them into your home and eat food, extend grace to them. And that's what Christ is doing here. He's extending the grace of God to people who don't know because uh, lost people matter to God, but I think the ones who are top priority are those who are lost and have never heard. And that's where he's headed is for people who are outside of the communication system. Uh, they they don't know about the message. And so he's taking his gospel, uh, his gospel there, and his disciples are going to be the foot soldiers And in this resistance, this storm that rises up to keep them from going to that place, massive storm, it threatens them. And, uh, you know, uh, true missionaries, we're not all missionaries. You know, we're not all pastors. We're not all teachers. And we're not all missionaries. Missionaries, uh, we're all supposed to evangelize. But a missionary leaves his country and goes to live in another person's country and fits in. For the sake of the gospel, not for he's not a, a guy there on a business or he's there for the gospel's sake. That's why he's in that country and why he's in that culture. And, you know, Christ was taking them to be missionaries and missionaries encounter all kinds of opposition. You've got crime and you've got misunderstandings locally. There's persecution that arises and. In this case, there was spiritual opposition, and I've been through that too in 25 years as a missionary. Just uh, forces that rise up against you and try to hurt you or your children and try to take your health away. Um, you know, we were we were in a place once, and a, a dear friend of ours, men came into the camp with machine guns, and they took. Uh, two friends of ours, and one that was a very close friend, and we've we've never seen them again. And I was there. My friend, my children were present, and you know that's part of our story now. And we've had to deal with that. So you have to gear up for opposition because it's coming. 
And that's sort of the message of this book is gear up for opposition. Get your mind tough so that you handle it. It's not unexpected when it comes to you. Uh, Well, the disciples are not expecting it. Christ is, is tired. He's asleep. He's just crashed out from going straight from ministry with no buffer right to the next event. He's in this boat, and he's just He's just falling asleep. Uh, now, you know, we read the Gospels backwards. We, we read it from um, the resurrection already. You know, we read it from the cross and the resurrection, the glory of God and Jesus uh, exalted. And now we go back and read all the stories. And uh, that's not how it happened to them. These disciples had no question about the humanity of, of Jesus in their mind, he was one hundred percent man, and that's it. He was just a very anointed prophet, a, an amazing prophet. They did not set out to create a God-man story. Um, it came to them because that was their experience. They had no other explanation for who this man was because of what happened. Uh, you know, he's asleep. That's normal. That's human. It doesn't surprise them that he's asleep. And and he's dealing with his stress the way a human deals with stress. And somebody told me once, if you are too, absolutely too essential to your organization and uh, too busy to take a nap when you're totally overwhelmed with fatigue, then you are more busy than the son of god you know you've got your priorities set differently you know than even he did he understood he was in a body he was fully human and that that body has certain demands and when you are out of resources uh, and you get a chance to unplug for a few minutes you need to take that opportunity and get your get your energy back up so he has found himself a place he got himself a pillow and he laid down, he knows when he's needed, and he knows when he's not needed. And right now, these guys are all about boats and fishing, and you know this is their competence. And even as a leader, he just rests in other people's abilities. You know, some leaders, uh, even if they don't know much about something, you know, they're going to be standing by the wheel at all times and giving directions, turn here a little bit. You know, they just can't disengage themselves from being 100% in control, hands on the throttle and the wheel at all times. And that's not good leadership. You need to get out of the way and let your people do what they're good at doing and and take care of yourself during those moments. And that's what Jesus has done. He has turned over the boat driving to somebody else and somebody else can steer it and deal with it. And he has gone below and he is in a deep, deep sleep. Well, this uh, storm comes Water's coming in the boat. The boat is already in danger of sinking. He is fast asleep. They woke him up, but notice they don't wake him up saying, you know, Jesus, wake up. You know, don't get hurt. The boat is sinking. They wake him up immediately. Have you ever had somebody do this? Like sometimes in your marriage it happens. You know, your marriage partner is really frustrated. They're just they're fed up or they're tired or they're beyond their abilities and you walk in the door and you don't have any idea what's going on. You just step into it and blah, right in your face. They just unload and go straight to their panic, you know. 
And uh, in his case, it was all self-pity. That's what came out, that human instinct to pity self and blame somebody for your pain, and especially blame God. He's always an easy target. Blame other people for your condition, you know, whatever's going on with you. Um, put the blame on somebody. Say, wake him up to blame him. Uh, I'm, I'm right now, as I said, in the Philippines, and we just went through a massive flood here. I mean, it was two and a half times the water of Katrina that was dumped on this city, and it came in only six hours. So the the uh, infrastructure just could not handle that much water. But right away, you know, it, it, the immediate question, you know, is not how could we design better uh, flow systems for groundwater. No one asked that. How can we design a better readiness system so that people get advance warning and can evacuate their homes? Or no one's asking, how can we not love the material world so much and uh, really wrap our lives around God and his new kingdom that's coming and the new world and, and hold things lightly? No one's asking those questions. The immediate questions are, why God? Why did God allow this to happen? And really what we mean is, why did God allow this to happen to me, to darling me? Because when it happens to other people, we don't usually get all worked up and shake our fist at heaven because Pakistan just had an earthquake and a thousand people died. Uh, if we have a car wreck, ah, now it's all, why me, God, why me? Um, that's just so human. And so Jesus wakes up getting rebuked. He, uh, he ignores the person in his face saying, don't you care? Don't you care? Verse 38, that we are all dying. This self pity accusing voice. And he just, you know, he's able to come out of a deep sleep and, you know, not slap somebody. He can, he can come out of a deep sleep and still be under self-control. And he just ignores them. You know, they're not to be listened to. They're not to be engaged. And he, but he realizes they really do have a life-threatening situation. This boat is starting to sink. The waves keep coming in it. And uh, something has to be done. He jumps up. Well, his something is not to bail water. Something is to recognize spiritual realities. You know, you can try to apply human solutions. You know, you can, uh, you can treat demon-possessed people for schizophrenia and put them on drugs and or you can cast the demons out of them and they'll be normal and he understands there are spiritual realities in this world there's not a demon under every rock and every problem does not have a spiritual cause but this one did this was not a normal problem this thing came up out of nowhere because of a missions trip he was on his way and he was approaching the shores of Gentile people who had never heard the gospel and spiritual resistance had risen up and it has to be handled spiritually. And so he stood up and took his battle to the elements. He stands on the bow of the boat. That's how I have it in my memory at least. The Bible doesn't say it's where he was, but that's how I picture him. Stood on the bow of the boat, faced the storm and said, Hush, peace, you be still. And the wind ceased and the waves slapped down, and the ocean became flat, and things became calm. So he's dealt with the problem. He had a spiritual issue, and he just dealt with it. How do you deal with it? Command. Uh, when you're praying 
about something caused by spiritual forces or you're praying for a healing, you know, don't go on and on and on. Oh, God, please heal. Oh, God, please heal. Father, please heal. Heal. You know, command the sickness to leave. Command the problem to go away. That's how Jesus did it. You take a command form voice. You take spiritual authority. You address your issues and do it with your authority. And he did, and uh, the elements obeyed him. And now he turns and asks the disciples. They woke him up with a question. Don't you care? He turns a question back to them because now there's a question worth pondering. And his question puts the focus back on them. And he says, why are you so fearful? I can understand how others could be fearful. Why are you so fearful? You need to ponder that question. Why does fear dominate your life, and why do you make your decisions based on fear? Why you? Second question, verse 40. How is it that you have no faith? No faith. Why can't you have a challenge in life, and instead of getting mad at God or getting mad at someone else or acting insecure, why can't you just tighten up your belt and deal with it in faith? Why can't you just trust God? Why can't you just command this wave yourself and take charge of your problems? And why does your fear have to dominate your life? This fear is not a, um, it doesn't come from a lack of God's care about you. This fear in you comes from your own lack of faith in God. Why do you have no faith? Why are you so fearful? And verse 41 says they had a whole new fear at that moment. And that was fear of him. Like, who are you? We just thought you're a guy, really anointed guy. But who are you? The wind and the sea obeys you. Now, that he was God, that was totally outside of their any concept. I mean, they were raised good Jews. Lord, our God is one. They say it every single Sabbath as they recite the Shema. You know, there is one God. There's not a million gods. There's one God. They cannot comprehend yet Trinity. They cannot understand oneness of a threefold God. Uh, That's beyond them. But they realize they've come into contact with someone who's not like any human in history. He can do... Miracles that other people in the scriptures have done by faith because God has always had power that he pours out on the earth. But he is speaking to wind, and as though the wind is a person, it obeys him, waves obey him, and they say, who, who is he? Faith and fear, wrestling around inside. Speak, speak faith, you know. You and I need to build up our faith because our faith is a choice. We're given a measure. The Bible says we're given a measure of faith. God says, all right, here's a bunch of faith to get started with. And faith is uh, like a seed. It will grow. If you feed your faith, it'll grow up like a plant. You'll trust God even more. You'll have more confidence. You'll have less insecurities and feed your faith again. And your faith will grow again. And, you know, it just keeps going. And there are people. uh, I had a visit from a sweet 
old lady, uh, Tita Nene Borsis, and I've known her for 20 years, and she found me. Uh, my picture was in a magazine that we published and uh, here in Metro Manila as a daily devotional. And she found it, and she made a pilgrimage back to the station. Well, you know, she's by now, I haven't seen her for over 10 years, and she's 87 years old. But, I mean, she's sparkly and dynamic, and she was talking about, you know, so many old people are complaining, and I just minister, and I love people, and I look for someone I can help every day. And she's just a can-do, faith-filled person. Never had a surgery, never been sick very much in her whole life. She just, at 86, uh, slipped off of a boat gangplank and cracked her ankle. And that was her first broken bone in life. You, know, you get the reward of being full of faith. You get to live by faith, and you rise up. You know, life doesn't beat you up all the time. So, you know, make it a, make it a conscious decision that you are going to feed your faith. You're going to speak faith. You're not going to speak out your fears. When you've got a fear, you're just going to bite your tongue. Don't say that fear. Just leave it alone. Don't say that. Uh, Speak out your faith. Say what you believe. Encourage others. Encourage yourself. But, you know, believe God. God loves you. God's got power. He's included you. He's wrapped his arms around you. You can be a man or woman of faith. And reap the results of that. And you can reap a big harvest in your life. God can use you to touch people and bring transformation to other people. Just as he was going to do. He was determined to use these disciples and to turn them into men of faith. And you and I should take that challenge to my dear brother and my dear sister. Um, I want to point you to the websites again. Emergenetwork.org is a gathering place for emerging leaders from all over the world. And we're developing that site and going to put some good resources there. And if you want to check out my personal blog, that's quinley.com, quinley.com. And you can just kind of see what's going on with me and my thoughts on family and a place for you to leave comments and for us to interact that way. We've got a little social network there for you to sign so you can, uh, if you'd like to know, Uh, Some others are stay in touch because a lot of you that are listening to this, you're personal friends of mine. And I think about you when I uh, when I'm putting these threads together. Uh, I hope to extend that friendship circle, but I want to be connected to you. So let's walk this journey together. God bless. Until next time. Thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org.